Yeah, we're continuing our series uh, today. We've just called Worship the King uh, in, in anticipation of Christmas. And uh, this series reminded me of the first missions trip that I, that I ever went on. I went to Argentina. And uh, in Argentina, the church has been growing for, for several decades in that country from a place of um, just a very small place in the 50s and 60s. And then God just began to do a great work, and it's just been growing and growing. And so we went in the 90s. is the first time I'd ever been out, out of America. And uh, we went to this church that was, uh, you know, maybe uh, a fifth the size of this room or maybe even smaller. But there were about 100, 125 people in that church. And when worship started, um, you, you know, it, it, was, it was in the winter in Argentina. So they had all the heaters on in there. And it was just cold outside. And worship started. And as it continued to build in intensity... They started to worship in a way, now remember, I'd, I'd never been out of America. They started to worship in a way I'd never seen in my life. Uh, if you know anything about Argentina, there is a, a strong Italian bloodline that runs through the Argentine people. And so they started to worship, and, and people started to move around. Like they got out of their chair, and they started to kind of move around, sort of like a Macarena train. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They were just flowing around all over the room. And then, and then what I can only describe as Italian line dancing. Anybody know what Italian line dancing is? Anybody? Broke out, and uh, all the ladies started to grab each other's hand and get in a line. And the guys made an arch like this, you know, one on each side. And, and the ladies would run through the line like that. And then they switched, and the guys started getting each other, and the you know their, the ladies arms were, and they all ran through the line, and that was and that was you know worship. That was like what we did a minute ago. That's how they do it. And uh, we're standing there watching all this, you know, kind of clapping and singing, little white Americans, you know, like like you know where are we? Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, kind of thing. And a couple of my team members looked at me, our teenagers with us, and they said, you know, we don't worship like that. What do we do? I said, get in line and go with them. Let's go. We're not in America anymore. We're going to worship how they worship. So we took our shoes off and boogied for Jesus for a little while, you know. It was fun. And so I've learned that there are, there are postures of worship that are culturally defined. I, I, I would not recommend that you bring that posture of worship, you know, to, to America or Finland or it's probably not going to work. But it works there. But I have also found that there are postures of worship that are universal. In other words, they are, they are postures of the heart or, or postures that the Bible teaches specifically. And last week, we started talking about those postures from the Christmas story, and we talked about how raising, raising our hands. Next week, we're going to talk about pouring out our heart. And the, and the last week, our Christmas service, we're going to talk about bowing our knee. But today, I want to look back at the Christmas story, and I want to talk to you about a very powerful way that God has given us to worship Him, and it's bringing our gifts is an act of worship. Look at the story again, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, very important that you remember King Herod, we'll talk about him in a minute. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So this is what I find fascinating about the Christmas story. They didn't do this journey and they didn't travel all this way. They didn't do all of this in order to get something from Jesus. Our picture oftentimes of the wise sage or the whatever is people take a great journey, they arrive because there's something that they want to get from them. This is a total opposite uh, flip. These magi came because they wanted to give something to Jesus. They recognized he was the king, and so they came to worship him. Now, Herod, who was the king at the time, he was an evil king. And the news of another king on the rise felt very threatening to him. He wasn't sure about that. He started to panic. So he lied to the wise men who came to see him first to say, hey, do you know where this baby Jesus is? And he said, no, but let me know when you find out because when you find him, I want to know where he is because I want to come and worship him too. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He did not want to worship him. He wanted to find Jesus to kill him so there wouldn't be another king because he misunderstood what kind of king Jesus was. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. So they followed this great star, it led them to Jesus, and when we read that verse, I think we really don't grasp the full magnitude of what happened there. These wise men, they actually traveled from Persia, or what would be modern-day Iran, all the way to where Jesus was. That was about 900 miles. Now, we're sitting today in Shelby County, Alabama. If you go 900 miles south, you will stop at Key West. You go all the way to Key West and watch the sunset. If you go north 900 miles, you can make it all the way to Green Bay, Wisconsin. You can almost make it, if you went directly, you could almost make it to Toronto. Now, they didn't go Southwest Airlines. These guys didn't have planes. Like, they traveled. This was a very difficult, long, painful journey, and they took it in the belief that, they might, that this might be the Savior, this baby might be the Savior. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, this is a very interesting word. There's actually four Greek words for the word overjoyed, and this particular one is a very difficult word to translate into English. One translation says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the Greek word literally means they rejoiced with a huge, overarching joy. It's kind of like saying compounding joy. Their joy was stacked on top of their joy. Or another way to think about it would be like they are happy about how happy they are. It's almost impossible to describe how full of joy these people were because for centuries they had anticipated the time when the Savior would come and save them from their sins. And now in their lifetime, he's actually here. So from the depth of their soul, they're overjoyed with this huge ecstatic joy. And I think sometimes the problem with Christians today is, is we're underjoyed. We're not overjoyed, but we should be the most overjoyed people on earth. Whatever life does to you, whatever life causes, whatever pain it causes you, here's the good news. You have the promise of eternity. 
And that brings great joy. You have a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him. You have a God who is ever-present, and the Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. We can be overjoyed because we have a Savior who has forgiven us from every nasty and evil and dark and shameful thing we've ever done. What could be more joyful than that? They traveled 900 miles. They couldn't wait to worship him. So what did they do? Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were overjoyed to bring gifts to the one who could save them. They were not underjoyed. They were not upset that they, that they gave. They were overjoyed to give. It reminds me, uh, that first mission trip I took to Argentina, I actually went every year for three years in a row. And one of the years that we went... You know, we had our team all ready with uh, human videos and uh, songs and all kind of stuff. And we were to go to a prison and minister. But in that particular prison, there was an uprising and the conditions weren't safe, so we got rerouted. And um, going in vans in another country from Buenos Aires, which is close to the size of New York City, we left the urban area and we traveled a long, long time and went out in the country. And we went to this forsaken little place that uh, I mean, looked like houses, looked like sheds. And we went uh, out into this giant field and we walked through the mud. And then we had to walk on planks through the mud because it was the only way to get to the particular building we were going to. And I thought, where in the world is this missionary taking us? And he said, there's this um, kind of like a rehabilitation center way out here in the country and it's out there because some of the people have done so many bad things that they're hiding them out there <laughs> so that the people they associated with before can't find them. But they're bringing them to faith. They're praying for them. Um, they're helping them. They're helping their life recover. And so here we were. We walked into this two-room building. And when I mean building, I mean it was, it was not big. The floor was dirt. Uh, they had three bunk beds high. And the, the bedroom and the living room were the same room. So the bunk beds were just around all the walls. And there was a little kitchen in the back. And, a, and there was a, a little bathroom outside. That was it. And 40 people lived there. And we went in there and, and our team says, you know, how, what, how do we even set up? I mean, there's this dirt floor and there's no front. And I said, look, we'll go in there and I just want you to set up right here by the door. We didn't know if we had to go, you know, right here by the door. And uh, I, want you, I want you to sing, and I want you to share, and I want you to minister like you're in a coliseum with 2,000 people. I just want you to just, just do it. And I, I'm telling you, one of the most moving moments of my whole life was to watch those kids get up there and pour their heart out. I mean, just pour it out. And it was so moving to me because although I couldn't understand both languages, I could see what was happening. And when we went to leave, 
Those men in that little facility were so overwhelmed that we would come and minister to them like that that they, they, they made pastries and they would sell them to try and all this. They started giving us all this stuff. And we went outside and one of the guys followed me outside and through a translator, he, he said, um, you don't understand what this means to me. Nobody comes here. And he just looked at me. He was crying. He said, nobody comes here. He said, but you came here. And I can't tell you what it means. And he took his, he had three shirts. He took one of his soccer shirts off his back and he handed it to me. And he said, I want you to have this. And I, and I looked at the mission. I said, I, what do I do? I can't, I can't take his shirt. I don't even know how many shirts I have. I can't take his shirt. And I said, what, will he be offended? He goes, he'll, he'll be offended. You have to take it. He said, he's giving it to you with his heart. And I, and I took that shirt. And I just hugged him and I cried and it just, it just overwhelmed me that he had experienced something that overwhelmed him. And the only thing he knew to do about it was to bring a gift. And it was his absolute joy. He smiled. I was crying. He was smiling. He was looking at me. And I thought, you're better off than I am. And and can I tell you something? That's the kind of joy that these wise men had. And when I think about every now and then I pull that shirt out and I look at it and I think about that guy and I say, God, this is the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be a person that's not just generous, but I want to be a person that's happy about it. I want to be a person that's filled with the joy of God and realizes it's actually a bigger blessing to give than it is to get. Isn't that right? And this is how the wise men gave. It was a sense of overwhelming joy. They brought gifts, the Bible says, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it's been debated for centuries what those gifts, if there was a meaning behind those gifts and what it meant. And we won't settle that today. But let me just give you the general thinking. The general thinking is that the wise men brought gold because that was the most precious metal. And what they were saying is he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So he deserves the best gift. And they brought gifts of frankincense, which describes Jesus' priestly role. And then they brought gifts of myrrh, which was an incense that was actually used to prepare people for burial. When you'd prepare a body to be buried, you would put myrrh on it to prepare it. And a lot of theologians believe that was the sign that Jesus was born to die. And so even at his birth... He was given the gift of myrrh, which was a a burial incense that was a foreshadow of his death that was coming. They were overjoyed to give their gifts the best of what they had as an act of worship. Now, you may may be uh, wondering, you know, we're walking a tight wire here this morning. Oh, oh no, I decided to come to church on the Sunday. We're going to talk about giving. You know, what was I thinking? I should, have, I should have stayed home, or I should have, of all the Sundays to come to church, why today? Or I brought a friend with me, and I, I wish, you know, I'd have brought him another day. Can I tell you something? I totally understand how you feel, because I used to feel that way. 
You know, oh no, I got Christmas presents to buy, I'm busy, there's a lot going on at the end of the year, the bills, and, and I, I know exactly how you feel, I used to feel that way. I used to sit in church, and although I never resented hearing about giving, I was very, if I'm honest with you, I was indifferent to it. You know, we, we'd, it'd be time to give, the offering bag would go by, and I'd watch it go by, and I, and I would think, you know, that's for somebody else. And I wasn't resentful and I wasn't offended. I just was indifferent. And, and the offering bag would go by. And to me, it was kind of like intermission. It, if I'd had a phone, it had been the time for me to check my phone. Back then, we didn't have phones, so I'd just look at the bulletin. And I'd read it and I'd say, you know, I wonder what's happening there. I'd look around and say, I wonder who's at church today and I, I hadn't seen them yet. The reason I felt that way was because I was not a giver. That's it. I was not a giver. And that's why I felt that way. And over time, God changed my heart. And let me tell you what the people in the little church that I grew up in did. They never pressured me. They never manipulated me. They never, they never forced me. They never guilted me. They never shamed me. But you know what they did? They loved me and they taught me. And over time, God changed my heart. And God wants you to worship Him with your whole life. He wants you to worship Him in your relationships and in your time and at work and in your thought life and in your finances. Why? Because God has a great plan for your life and He knows what's best for me and He knows what's best for you. And it's total surrender to Him. Now, now I, love, I love to hear about generosity. And I love being around generous people. You know why? Because generous people are happy. Have you found that to be true? Now, sometimes we mistakenly believe that, that they're generous because they're happy. I think they're happy because they're generous. I think that's where it comes from. So they, I like to be around them because they challenge me and they encourage me and they push me on to be a person more like Jesus. Now, I hope over the next few minutes that the Spirit of God will begin to work in your heart in such a way that if you don't love giving now, you will actually start to love to give. You will love to give, to look forward to give, to be strategic about giving, to have dreams about how you might give to God and how it might make an internal difference and, and how, how you would learn to give to the God who gave everything to you. One of the most famous verses in the Bible actually unpacks this idea. John 3.16. I know you know it. It's at football games. We're a football state, right? The sign's always at the football games. And what does it say? For God so loved the world. What did he do? What did his love cause him to do? That he gave. Why did he give? Because he loved. How much did he give? His only son. So God looked at creation and he saw how broken it was and he saw the gap between him and himself and the people he loved. So he sent his son in the form of a human baby to die. So I only have one point for you this morning. You probably don't even have to write it down to remember it. Here it is. Love gives. That's it. Love gives. Love gives and we love God because he loved us first and he gave his son for us. So when there's love, you can see it in the lives of people where love exists because people will be giving to each other. When people stop giving to each other, there's no love. 
Love gives. Romans 5, 8 teaches us this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. What does that mean? He didn't just stand in a corner of heaven and shout it real loud. He came to earth and he showed it. Love gives. Now, some of you might say, you know, today, hey, if I'm honest with you, giving's hard for me. I would love to give, but I feel financial pressure or I feel some other challenge and I'm afraid or I'm hesitant. And I, I understand that. Proverbs 3 contains one of the most famous verses. You've probably heard it. Maybe you didn't even know where it came from, but everybody's probably heard it. What we often misunderstand is verse 5 and 6 has the same context as verse 9 and 10. 5 and 6 are the famous verses. 9 and 10 are not as famous. But they're the same context, so let's read it today. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. What is the context? Trusting God with all your heart, submitting in all your ways. What's the context? All your heart, all your ways, trust and submit. That's the context. Now, in the same context, we get verse 9 and 10. What does it say? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Same context. With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What is honor? It is to worship God. One of the postures that we find from the Christmas story of worshiping God universally all over the world is that we open up our treasure and we give our gifts to God. With your wealth, with what you have. What's, what does this mean with the first fruits of your crops? That's an agricultural term. And it means you've planted, you've sown, you've watered, you've pulled the weeds, you tilled the soil, you did everything you're supposed to do, and, and the rain came and the sun shined and all of that. And then the day came when the plants begin to grow and then they begin to produce fruit. And when they produce fruit or vegetables or whatever it is, you go and gather the harvest. And the first part of what you gather is called first fruit. And the Bible teaches we are to take that first part and we give it to God to honor him. This is taught in Malachi 3, and Jesus reaffirms it in the New Testament. The Bible's talking about tithing, which means the first, the Hebrew word actually means a tenth. And it means the first 10% of what we have, we bring to God. We open up our treasure and we give gifts to God and we worship him. Malachi says when we do this, that God opens up the windows of heaven and he blesses us. So we worship God with the first 10%. Now that might sound crazy because we say 10%. Do you, did you even see the Cyber Monday sales? Did you even see what all I could buy with 10% of what I make? But the Bible teaches the life that we live is not a natural life in Jesus. It's a supernatural life. And this is what Proverbs mean when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So we bring our first, and we bring our best, and we trust God to bless the rest. Now, here's what I know. I can always, when you're talking about giving and tithing, I can always spot a tither in the room because they're always shaking their head like this. 
They don't, talk, they don't make much noise because they don't want to you know, frustrate anybody else. But they're going like this because they've done it and they know the truth that 90% with God's blessing is better than 100% without it. And they know it. And they've lived it. So Malachi says, bring the first fruit into the storehouse. That's a picture of the New Testament church. And it's the place where we're equipped and taught and strengthened and encouraged. And the place where we bring spiritual life. And that is the place where to bring the, the first fruit. I, I, I wasn't raised as a, uh, a tither. I wasn't raised in a predominantly Christian home. Uh, although I, I was raised in a church. But um, I, I never learned tithing that way. And so when I, at 15 years old, I became a Christian. And at 16 or 17, I don't remember, uh, after, you know, having intermission at church for a while, I remember the Lord began to deal with me. And I heard our church teach. And nobody pressured me or anything like that. It just, it's just the Holy Spirit began to work on my heart. And I began to say, there's this part of my life that's not really surrendered to God. I'm not really trusting Him there. And I, remember the, I still remember the first church service I went to when I tithe for the first time. And um, I had my little envelope, you know. We didn't have any electronic ways of giving back then, you know. You, you, you had to show up to church to do it. And I had a little envelope, and I had, uh, you know, you had to write things. I didn't even fill it out right. I didn't know how to fill it out. And somebody beside me laughed at me because they thought, you do this, not how you do that. Oh, well, maybe God will take it anyway. I don't know. So... I was sitting there, and here it comes. There goes the guys with the bags, and they're coming back, and the bag's going down the road, and it's coming to my row. And I'm feeling a little anxious, and I'm, and I'm feeling a little excited at the same time. I was kind of looking forward to it, but I really didn't know what was going to happen. And I don't know what I expected. I was a teenager, and I didn't know, you know what I was doing. I was just trying to follow God. I didn't know if I thought the roof would come off. You know, I didn't know what I thought would happen, but it was a big deal to me. And the, the little bag came down the aisle, and I dropped my little envelope in there. And then I watched the bag go down to the end of the aisle. I thought, well, that's gone. I mean, that's it. You know, it's not coming back. <laughs> and it went, and the, the guy got it, and he went out the back door. I thought, well, it, it's gone for sure now. I mean, that's it. That's the end of that. And, and let, me, let me tell you what I thought in that moment, okay? All I could think was, like, I have drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, like, I'm legit now. I mean, there's no, I'm all in. Like, there's no going back. I mean, I, mean, I, I have I, I've got to a place in my life where I think I'm going to trust Jesus, even with my practical and physical needs. I'm going all in, and I was going to give Jesus every part of myself. And can I tell you what filled my life in that moment in a new way that I hadn't quite experienced before, was joy. Because when I decided to give, it resolved something in my heart about my faith in Jesus. It resolved something. And it resolved something that nothing else could resolve. But taking that step of faith, that was 31 years ago. <laughs> and I, look, best of my knowledge, I've, I've tithed, for 31 years off everything I've made. Maybe I've missed something somewhere and I don't know about it, but the best of my knowledge I have. And can I tell you today, it's still a joy. For 31 years, I've walked that walk, starting in that little offering bag, and it, it's still a joy to me today. And let me tell you something that happened in our family uh, a few months ago. 
This summer, we went whitewater rafting, and our, our oldest son, uh, Connor, lost his wallet. You know, we're in another state, we're rafting where the Lord is at the bottom of the river. You know, you, you ever lose something like that, and you just wear, worries you to death. And so he said, well, you better, start, you better call the bank and cancel your debit card, because, you know, somebody's going to be rafting on your dime uh, here before long. And so he canceled his card and all of that, and, uh, and several months went by. Uh, this was in uh, July, I think, June or July. And several months went by, and all of a sudden, uh, he caught, by looking at his bank account, he said, he said man, I, you know, my, my savings is growing faster than I thought it would. And he said, I wonder, I wonder what, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I am a money-managing genius. You know, maybe <laughs> this is incredible. I had no idea how good I was. And then he looked back and realized that he had actually uh, automated his giving at our church. He had set it up on automatic withdrawal, but when he canceled his card, it canceled his giving because that account was no longer valid. And, and about uh, 12 or 13 weeks had gone by, and he gets paid every week. And, and I thought, hey, you know, you're 21. <laughs> you got to make a decision about what you're going to do about that. And uh, I want to tell you, he sat there and looked at me, and he added it up, and he goes, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I said, yes, that's a lot of money. And I said, you know, what are you going to do? And he said, I mean, it's not my money. What can I do? God's been good to me. I want to always be good and get put him first. So he got online, reestablished his account, and tithed for 13 weeks in one second. And it filled me with so much joy because I said, you're going to put God first. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. And it brought me, it made me so proud because I, I wasn't raised that way and I didn't have that. Do you know the only place God asks you to test him is in the area of giving? He says, if you don't trust me, try me. He doesn't say that anywhere else. I'm overjoyed today to be a tither. I'm overjoyed to be a part of a generous church. Do you know this church supports 100 missionaries? You know what we get for that? Nothing. <laughs> We just get the joy of knowing that we're sending people to share the gospel that the Savior who's come to earth can be known by all people in all places. That's what we get. And it's a, it is a joy. For five years we made a commitment in Honduras that we were going to partner there and so many of you were on one of those teams. Do you know we bought $85,000 worth of building materials and built several of the buildings that are on their property there that are being used today and nearly every weekend to bring people to faith in Jesus? Do you know it's a joy to do that? Man, that was a joy. That was a joy. Our, one of our life groups that some of you are a part of uh, went this last fall and gave gifts to every fireman and every fire per, uh, personnel and every fire department in Helena and Alabaster came and brought them gifts. Who do you think was happier? It's the people that gave. 
Last month, our City Serve Life group brought Thanksgiving, a full Thanksgiving dinner, to 10 foster care families. Now, who do you think was happier? The person who gave. It is absolutely our joy to give. I'm overjoyed to be a part of a church that likes to give. You know what we're giving away right now? Six nights of Scrooge. I don't know if you know this. It is a lot of work. Did you know that? It is work, 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 work. You think, what do you do? You have no idea how many things we could be doing right now if we weren't doing Scrooge. In our office for months, we've been meeting and planning and talking and talking to you and preparing and organizing. It, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of time and resource and energy. But you know what we do? We come, we don't charge a person a dime to come see it. And for 32 years, this church has given it away. You know why? It's a joy to give. And you know what we're going to do at the end of the play? We're going to take an offering. You know what we're going to do with the offering? We're going to keep it for ourselves. No. We're going to take the offering all six nights, and then we're going to give it away. You know why? It's a joy to give. It is an absolute joy to give. We are overjoyed at the privilege to give because, listen, love gives, and love loves to give. Love loves to give. So what you do with your wealth is an absolute indicator of what's in your heart. It's an absolute indicator of what is in your heart, no exceptions. Because God first gave to us. So this morning, you know, you may say, man, this is um, not the sermon I was expecting. I do want you to know this. From time to time, we do talk about giving at Kingwood. But let me tell you what we will never do. We'll never manipulate you. We'll never deceive you. And we'll do our very best to never waste anything you ever give us. What we will do is we will do for you exactly what that little church did for me when I was a teenager. We will love you. We will encourage you. We will minister to you. And we will teach you. That's it. And we will be patient and allow the Holy Spirit to work on you because, by the way, he's still working on us. <laughs> All God's children need some work, right? All of us. So today I was, you know, thinking, how would we end this service? And I thought, you know, um, last week we talked about lifting our hands and we ended the service by giving everybody the opportunity to lift their hands. And I thought, well, maybe we'll, you know, take the offering at the end and give everybody an opportunity to, to give to God. Now, relax, we already took the offering. And I, I thought, no, no, I, I don't want to do that. And I thought, you know, maybe what we'll do is we'll talk to everybody about, uh, you know, our, our church does a lot of ministry all year. And as we get close to the end of the year, we have needs that our church needs to meet. And the only way to meet them is, you know, is with giving. And I thought, well, I'll talk about the needs our church has. And I thought, I don't, want, I don't want to do that either. And then I thought, well, maybe what I'll talk about is the tithing challenge, how, you know, you can become a tither. But I decided against all that. I'm not going to take an offering. I'm not going to talk about the tithing challenge. And I'm not going to talk about the needs that our church has. And here's why. I don't want there to be any confusion about the message that I'm sending today. The message that I'm sending you today is that God loves you and he has a great life for you and it comes when you surrender to him. 
And so I don't want any other message to be uh, sent today. So here's where I'd like to end. The ultimate thing that we have to give goes that God actually wants most from us that goes way beyond wealth or anything like that. And it's our life. God actually wants you to give him your life. And Paul the Apostle talked about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, <laughs> in view of the fact that he sent his son Jesus as a baby to live an innocent, sinless life and to die for you and to offer forgiveness to the world, in view of all that, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not just, not just wealth. That's a starting point. But that's not really what God's after. What God's after is your heart. He wants you. He gave his son that he might have a relationship with you. And he just wants you. And that surrendering to him in all of its forms brings the greatest joy you'll ever know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I will honor him with my first and best and I'll trust him to bless the rest. God loved you first. The wise man traveled 900 miles to worship the king. And that's really what he wants you to do today. So would you just stand with me and I want to ask our prayer team to come. Here's what I want to ask you to think about today. With every eye closed and if you just open your heart. Is there an area of your life that you need to surrender to God? You know, maybe it is giving. Maybe you say, if you were honest, you say, you know, I'm, I'm not a tither. I'm, I'm not much of a giver. And I just feel the Holy Spirit talking to me. Today, I want to pray. I want to ask God to help me to trust Him with that area. You know, when we, when we talk about things like this, people get the impression that God only wants things from you that you want. Like, like your finance. But you know what? God, God's not like that. He doesn't compartmentalize. He wants everything. So maybe you're battling with fear today. <laughs> and you don't want fear, but you have it. And what the Holy Spirit says to you is, hey, I want that too. Maybe you, maybe you have a relationship that's struggling. And you say, man, I wish this relationship wasn't struggling. And God says, I wish it wasn't either. Why don't you give that to me? Why don't you surrender that to me? Maybe there's a problem you're facing or sickness. Maybe there's a conflict at work or at home. <laughs> maybe there's something, maybe there's a sin in your life. And the Holy Spirit says, why don't you give that to me? Why don't you give that to me today? 
Maybe it's anxiety or fear. It could be anything. God wants all of you, the good and the bad. He doesn't discriminate. He doesn't doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. But it all comes with surrender. So this morning, I want to begin to pray for you. And as I do, if there's something that you need to give to God today, maybe you've been fighting a battle all by yourself. Maybe you're just stressed and worried about something. And the reason you're so worried is because you've been trying to work on it without God. And God's saying, hey, why don't you give that to me today? And with every eye closed, if you've got something that you need to give to God today, maybe you've given it a hundred times, but today the Holy Spirit's whispering you, the hundred and first time is now. If you have something you need to give to God today, would you just lift your hand and say, I, there's something in my life I need to surrender this morning, if I'm just being honest. Yeah, 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 I see it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to pray for you. And as I do, I want you to come and let one of the prayer team members just pray for you. Here's what's going to happen. When you take a step toward God, just like when I put that little envelope in that bag, something changed in my heart with that simple little step. When you take a simple little step today and you you open your heart and life for, for the ministry of prayer, God is going to begin to do something inside you. It's going to make a difference. And so as I begin to pray for you, I want you to come right now. If you lifted your hand, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would draw every person in this room that that needs to let go of something, that needs to surrender something, that needs to give you something. God, we lay our hearts bare before you. And I pray right now that you just draw, Holy Spirit, by your wisdom and by your strength, by your love and by your presence. Holy Spirit, draw us to a place of surrender. Draw us to a place of joy. Draw us to a place of peace. God, draw us to a place where we lay down the things in our life that you want. God, we've come to worship you. As the worship team begins to lead now, if you need prayer, I just want you to slip out and find one of our teams. What a wonderful name it is. We want to pray for you. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. The
Worship team to sing that through a few more times. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you.